0: Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son into the world, and that that first coming of Jesus being fact, we can have absolute confidence in everything your word says about his second coming. And as we look into that this morning, Father, we pray that you might instill in us a sense of urgency about Jesus' return that maybe we don't have as we walked in these doors this morning. I pray, Father that we would long for Jesus Christ and that you would bless that longing with obedient faith for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, uh One of the great American ironies is that for all the attention we give to presidential elections, The culmination of that process uh, the vote of the Electoral College usually goes without notice it's a little bit different this year it's getting a little bit more attention than it usually does Uh, this year has been different in very many ways but we normally don't actually pay much attention to the actual electing of the president we focus on what we did back in November and you all uh, hopefully know that it's the Electoral College that meets I think tomorrow um, That shows you how much I'm paying attention to it. I think it's tomorrow, but we don't usually give that much attention to the president actually being elected. Remember, though, for all the attention we do give our presidents, when the Constitutional Convention gathered uh, 229 years ago now, if my math is right, there were questions then as to whether or not we should even have a president or someone like a president. And if so, what powers they might have would have to have along with them very significant restraints. So a democratic republic is what we got. Separation of powers, a legislative branch, a judiciary, and an executive branch headed by a president. And it's worked for over two centuries, so much so that today you and I as Americans can hardly fathom any other type of government. And other countries, while not maybe following us exactly, have followed somewhat of our model. In fact, there are very few monarchs left in the world that are anything more than ceremonial in nature. But in Jesus, we have a monarch. We have an absolute monarch. We have a sovereign whose kingdom stands today and will one day fully and finally be established On this earth. And that's what we read about in Luke 17, verses 20 through the end of the chapter. So if you are there, join me beginning in verse 20, where it says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here, do not go away, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day." But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. We see in these verses the kingdom of God. We see it now in a sense. We also see the kingdom coming. The kingdom which has always been, is now, and forevermore will be. That's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 17. Our passage... Starts in verse 20, and it's there we see once again the Pharisees. Now, we've seen the Pharisees so many times in the Gospel of Luke. And at this point, we know as we have read through this, they were this, for the most part, self-righteous bunch that was opposed to Jesus. They were, by and large, more concerned with others following the rules they made rather than they themselves following the words that God had said. And here they were asking Jesus a question that many of us have probably wondered, when? When is the kingdom coming? Because who among us wouldn't want to know? Who among us wouldn't love to know even now when the kingdom of God is coming? Now the Jews of the first century, to their credit, were certainly looking for the kingdom of God. But like so many today... What they thought about the kingdom was not exactly what God had revealed in His Word. You know, there are no shortage of books on end times events today. Most of them deal more with speculation than what saith the Lord. I own a couple of them, and I stumbled upon a couple more in our library just the the other day. But getting end times kingdom of stuff, God, uh, kingdom of God stuff wrong, is a time-honored tradition. We do it today, and the Jews of the first century were doing it as well. They had their expectations, but their expectations were based not just on Scripture, but kind of a mixture of Scripture and some embellishments from some non-biblical, extra-biblical writings that had taken place over the years. They did get some things right. Some things like, you know, first century Jews believed that Messiah would come after a period of tribulation. They believed that He would be preceded by a prophet like Elijah. They believed that he would usher in a glorious kingdom, that they envisioned he would trample Israel's enemies. He would restore Jerusalem to a a glory greater than it had never known. And that all the Jews would be scattered, or that were scattered, would be gathered again and returned to the land, and that there would be peace forever. A lot of that is right on. But they missed some things too. They didn't see two comings of the Messiah. They didn't expect Messiah to be a sacrifice for their sins, like Isaiah 53 says. They didn't expect that because, by and large, they believed themselves to be righteous enough in their own right. And as a result, they weren't looking for a spiritual kingdom at all. Like Luke 17 says, you know, they were in the process of missing their Messiah. So the Pharisees questioned Jesus, And and of course, Jesus, this teacher, they don't believe in him, but they're very curious because he has said so much to this point about the kingdom of God. So many of the parables we have looked at in Luke and find throughout the Gospels begin with Jesus saying something like, the kingdom of God is like. So he had talked about this a lot. And when they asked him, when is it coming? As Jesus was prone to do, he gave them a surprising answer. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, it's not coming with signs to be observed. We've got to We got to talk about that because we know in other places in the Gospels, he says there will be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24 has a whole litany of things that we can know the season of his return by. But here he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And a lot of questions over the years by a lot of people smarter than me have been asked about what that means. But the real question here is, why didn't the Pharisees already know the kingdom of God was in their midst? Why didn't they realize that the kingdom of God wasn't just about a city and and, and blessings and defeated enemies and glory on this earth and peace? Why didn't they understand that it wasn't just about those things? And the answer to that question is the same answer for why people don't trust in Jesus Christ today. And it's because they cannot comprehend the spiritual kingdom because they are not of God. And these Pharisees by and large, were not of God. They knew the Word. They looked the part. But as we have seen over and over, Jesus calling them out, they were of their father, the devil. They weren't of God. They had not been born from above. They had not been born again. Like like Jesus says to Nicodemus in, in John 3.3, 3, unless you have been born again unless literally born from above unless you are born by god you cannot even see the kingdom of god that's what jesus says there god has to make you alive for you to even see his kingdom the spirit of god has to breathe life into your dead heart so that you can comprehend and accept in your heart the gospel of jesus christ those Who don't come to Christ, beloved, fail because they can't see the kingdom of God. They aren't born from above. They don't get it because, as Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul says, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. In our natural state, beloved, when we come out of our mama's womb, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. Because of Adam's sin, we are born dead in our sins. And 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And if you haven't been born of the Spirit, born of God, you can't understand spiritual things. That's why unbelievers don't understand spiritual things, because they are spiritually dead. And I tell people all the time, don't expect unbelievers to think and talk and act like believers. Don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Because those who don't get it, don't get that they don't get it. And it's only by the grace of God that there's anyone who is rescued out of that condition. Dead men can't do anything to make themselves alive. I didn't do anything To come out of my mom's womb. I didn't do anything to conceive myself. I was brought forth. And dead men can't do anything to make themselves alive. Dead men can't repent. Dead men can't believe. It takes the Spirit of God blowing where He wishes to use uh, John 3, 8, the words of Jesus, to make sinners alive. And only then do we see Jesus as he is. Only then will we see ourselves as we are. Only then will we see our need as it is and come to Jesus. Because only then will we see, discern, comprehend that there's a kingdom of God. All right. All right. The Pharisees didn't see the kingdom of God. For all their talk of it, for all their wanting to understand it, for all their wanting to know when it was coming, they didn't see the kingdom of God in their midst because they were dead in their sins. They weren't getting it. And so Jesus says, Behold! And we don't use the word behold a lot, but we see it a lot in Scripture. It's a word that Jesus often used, that Paul uses, other people use, to get someone's attention. Behold! And what did it mean for the kingdom to be in their midst? Well, it didn't mean the kingdom was in their hearts because the kingdom is not in the heart of an unbeliever. But the meaning is that the kingdom of God was right there before them. The kingdom of God was right there in Israel, right then and there, and they were seeing it with their own eyes, their physical eyes, that is. They saw lepers cleansed. They saw dead men raised by Jesus. They saw people healed, and yet still they persisted in their unbelief Lord, uh, uh, by the Lord, um, all these things done by the Lord. And that just goes to show you a point I made a few weeks ago, that it's not the miracles that save But they were looking for signs. They were looking for someone to come in and get the Roman Empire out. Yeah, um, Our president-elect likes to use the term drain the swamp. That's kind of what they were looking at with regards to the Roman Empire. They wanted someone to come in and, and drain the swamp. They were looking for the restoration of Israel. Make Israel great again, like with David, like with Solomon. But the spiritual aspect of the kingdom of God does not show itself in things that can be seen and heard. Things that that can be seen and heard can trick you. But what happens in the heart can only be done by God. And that's what we have to know this morning. And it's the message that we need to know and, and, and take out of these walls to the world. That unless you have been born of God so that you are compelled from within to repent of your sins and entrust yourself to Christ, if you don't do that, John eight twenty four, Jesus says, you will die in your sins. But if you do do that, it's everlasting life. Well, Jesus was saying this to the Pharisees and then he took the opportunity of that question to then teach his own disciples beginning in verse 22 because he knew his time was running short. If you turn your page in your Bible, you are you get one or two pages more in your Bible, you're going to start to see the final week of Jesus. He knew his time on this earth was running out. He knew his future was a cross and an empty tomb and being ascended to the Father And his disciples would be left, not left alone. His Spirit would be in them. But what does the Spirit use? The Spirit uses the Word. In fact, our reading in 1 Peter this morning points to this. The Spirit uses the Word to do God's work in us. So Jesus gave them more of his Word that his Spirit would use in them. He taught his disciples about future days, and that's what we see in these last 16 verses of this chapter and you know there have been many well-meaning Christians and, and, and maybe you, you are in this group and let me encourage you this morning to get out of this group if you're in this group but there have been many well-meaning Christians which treat the study of the end times like something we aren't supposed to be certain about in any way um, there, there's this kind of default understanding that because it hasn't happened yet we should live in ambiguity of the future but that is not how we see Jesus himself treat the second coming now there are some things we don't know for instance no man knows the day or the hour but there are some things we are definitely to be doing Titus 2:13 says looking forward to the Blessed, hope, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. That's what we are to be doing. Like the Thessalonian believers, we are to wait for God's Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus. If you read through the New Testament letters, if you read even in Acts, what you see is a clear thrust that points us to the fact that it is a mark of spiritual maturity to be longing for the glory of Jesus Christ. We are not to be neutral about this, but we are to be as passionate about this as anything else in Scripture. Passionate about Jesus Christ's return. And that's a big problem in the professing church these days. The best-selling books on Christian bookshelves are one of two things. Either they talk about the end times and it deals a whole lot in speculation, which I've already mentioned. But even more so, more, more books focus on two things. You and now. And they aren't looking to Christ. It's all about how you can have a better life by employing some Christian principles. They, they, the, the treasure is to have a better life now in so many of these books instead of pointing us that we ought to treasure Christ. And the New Testament isn't like that. The New Testament focuses on Him and His return. So many of of the letters of the New Testament focus upon his return, at least some. And and while it has not yet come to pass, do you know this morning, beloved, that the Bible speaks just as much, if not more, really it does speak more about his second coming than his first? And if we can, can be so confident and rest in the knowledge, you know, we're celebrating Christmas If we can rest in the knowledge that Jesus has come, God with us, His first coming, then we ought to have just as much certainty about His second coming and live in light of that fact. Jesus is coming back. And that is a fact that ought to cause us to shout for joy. That is a fact that ought to cause us to live with a holy recklessness for Him. And yet we treat it more like wishful thinking in the things we say, the decisions we make. But we should be clear about this thing, these things and confident. You know, not all of the details of Jesus' return are given. No man knows the day of the hour. There are plenty of details given, though. Not all of them are in one place in the Bible. Some, some parts of Scripture speak to... Some aspects of it, other parts of scripture speak to others. But my conviction from God's word is that the next domino to fall in the prophetic timeline is the rapture of the church. That's not being spoken of specifically in Luke 17, but it is the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will depart with him, and we will meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with him forevermore. We read about that in First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and I would argue as well that passage in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be with me. A great message of comfort that I believe points us to the rapture of the church. And that will come, and nothing has to precede that. That could happen at any moment. And after that will come seven years of tribulation. I won't get into the why we know it's seven years, that's a longer sermon. But Jesus himself says that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. No, unless they were limited, no flesh would survive. And in the end, he will return on the earth, different from the rapture, because in the rapture, he he meets us in the air. In the Lord, in in the, 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 the second coming, he returns to the earth and we with him. And he will come to the Mount of Olives. He will cast Satan into the abyss. He will establish his kingdom for a thousand years. Satan will be released for a short time. He will then fully and finally defeat Satan, throw him into the lake of the fire. Unbelievers will be judged fully and finally at that time. And then this earth and the heaven will be destroyed and a new heaven and new earth will come. And then eternity. But the rapture comes first and next. So we are to be living... With anticipation for Christ's imminent coming for His bride, His church, we are to long for this. And in verse twenty-two, He tells His disciples, "The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it." Son of Man, by the way, is a term that by which Jesus often referred to Himself as Son of Man. Why wouldn't He just say Son of God? Because that term son of man was a clear statement that I am the Messiah. Daniel 7 is where we see this. In which Daniel says he sees the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him an everlasting kingdom. And any Pharisee who ever heard him say that, who ever heard him refer to himself as the Son of Man, knew that he was saying, I'm the Messiah you're looking for. Disciples will long for the days of the Son of Man. We will long, we need to be longing for the events that make up the day of the Lord. We need to long and yearn and ache for Jesus Christ. And can we say that's happening? Can we say honestly about ourselves that we are yearning for Jesus to come and get us? We see that kind of zeal throughout the New Testament. There was a feeling that could happen even in the first century. You know, the, the biblical authors of the New Testament, they write like it could happen at any moment, and that was 1,900 years ago. They recognize it could be later, but they were living like it could be any time. They didn't know when. We still don't. By the way, run from any teacher who says he knows when. Because he's lying. God didn't reveal that. God doesn't want us to know when the hour or day is. Exactly. Why? Because then we would live like we want to until right before, wouldn't we? God knows us better than we know ourselves. Peter didn't know, John didn't know, and John wrote Revelation, but it will come right when it's supposed to, right when God has ordained it to. So we are to be patient, but vigilant. Patient, but ready. Yearning desperately, but confidently. And Jesus' words here, Again, he's not speaking specifically about the rapture. He's speaking more about after the seven years when he returns. But in verses 23 and 24, they do point us to some truths about judgment. They will say to you, look here, look there, Jesus says, meaning there will be false teachers who will try to deceive many. In Matthew 24, he actually says that if it was possible for them to deceive the elect, if it was possible for them to deceive those who have been saved, they would. They'll be so deceptive, these false teachers. Do not run after them. Don't follow them. Because don't, 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 don't go after somebody who says that Jesus has returned. Why? Because like the lightning in the sky, which happens far away, but you can still see it. He's saying basically, every eye will see him, Revelation 1.7. No one's going to miss it when Jesus returns. No one's going to say, was it him? We're going to know. How are we going to know? Don't ask me. We'll we'll see his sign in the heaven. People will see his sign in the heaven. But he will make himself known. That we can be confident about. We won't be asking, was it him? But first, verse 25, he must, what? Suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. What's he saying there? He's saying there would be a manger before there would be a throne. There would be... Humiliation before there would be exaltation. There would be a cross before there would be a crown. Israel would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The Russians would oblige and at Calvary, God would pour out the full fury of his wrath for all sin, for all time, for all who will ever believe upon Jesus Christ. But Yahweh, the Lord, was pleased to crush him, wrote Isaiah. 20, or not 20. 750 years before the cross he said that so he would suffer rejection before acceptance the kingdom of god was in israel's midst but they were rejecting him and so national israel would be set aside we had a discussion of this in my sunday school class day national israel would be set aside 40 years later the romans come in and they trounce israel they they destroy jerusalem they destroy the temple and for Practically 1,900 years, there was no nation of Israel until about 70 years ago. And today they continue to reject their Messiah. And Jesus won't return in the way Luke 17 is saying until that rejection ends, toward the end of that seven-year period. In Zechariah 12... They will look upon Him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over Him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. The remnant remaining and believing will say of Jesus, Yahweh the Lord is my God. That's what's going to happen. And what will those days be like? How bad will I have to get for that to happen? And just as it happened in the days of Noah, Jesus says here, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. What are the days of Noah associated with? Great evil. And yet people are eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, and Genesis 6 says the intents of man's heart was only evil continually until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What do we know about Lot? Genesis 19, the nephew of Abraham. He left his uncle in Genesis 13, 14, going on to his own place, greener grass, somewhere else. And in Sodom they were eating, drinking, selling, planting, buying, building. But one day God rescued Lot from Sodom. And in the day he went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed, says Jesus. The days will be evil. And you say, they're pretty evil now. And you're right. But it will grow darker and darker and darker. And if you're a Christian, you'll do one of two things. Well, you can do both at the same time and still be obedient. You will lament how dark it's getting. But at the same time, in your heart you can smile because it's growing gloriously dark. The wicked will be everywhere. The world will be more wicked than ever before. Rather than repent and turn to Christ, men will be deceived by strong delusion Have you ever read Revelation and wonder, how will people get that evil? Just wait. They will hate God more than... You know, demons are active today. They are. They will be running rampant in those times. The Holy Spirit will no longer be restraining evil. Wicked men and women will be left to themselves with the fruits of their wickedness. And I believe it will be beyond anything we can comprehend even today. You know, like with Noah and Lot, though, there's hope. Those who repent and believe will have been rescued from the judgment. That's a kind of a picture of the rapture, how we'll be rescued from judgment. But those who fail to repent and believe will endure the judgment. And on that day, there won't be a need to go back into your house to grab your stuff. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. She's on the cusp of safety. In Genesis 19, and then she looks back at the world she is leaving. And the implication is she looks back with longing. And if you know that story, you know she becomes a pillar of salt. An object lesson that to hold on to the world is to abandon the Lord. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, James writes. So remember Lot's wife. Jesus says, The one who loses his life will preserve it. And that's because Jesus himself is the great dividing line of history. There will be two in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two grinding, one taken, one left. Two in the field, one taken, one left. And it will all come down to who have you said, who do you say that Jesus is? Like those taken away in the flood, those whose lives are taken away by fire and brimstone, those taken here are taken to judgment because where the vultures are gathered, where the body is, there also the vultures are gathered. And of course we know what vultures are. They feed off of the dead. They feed off of corpses. And the picture here are those who will... Die as a result of the judgments associated with the second coming of Christ. And it's a disgusting picture. And it's meant to be a disgusting picture. It's meant to be unpleasant because hell is unpleasant. Judgment is unpleasant. It's an unpleasant thing to think about. And so, what is the motivation here for us? Turn to Christ. And if you love your neighbor, it ought to be more than enough to compel you to take the gospel to them too. Because those who fail to heed Jesus' warnings about His coming, they don't see the kingdom of God in their midst now and they won't see the kingdom of God in eternity future. Jesus foretold of His second coming here, beloved, in part so that those who follow Him might take comfort in His absence and know He is coming back. But also Jesus foretold of his second coming so that all who hear of it might rightly come to him based upon his first coming. Beloved, God sent his world his son into this world through a virgin's womb. A preposterous thought really, but that's how God did it. And just as all of the prophecies of Jesus' second coming will come to pass. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies of Messiah's first coming. And he, God, in human flesh, went to the cross to save his people from their sins. To save all whom God makes alive. All who are born of the Spirit. All who are born from above. And the question is, are you alive? How are you living in light of Jesus' comings, both the first and the second? Because the second, the one that hasn't happened yet, is as sure as the first. We celebrate Christmas next Sunday. And while we are celebrating a past certain event, what this passage tells us is that we have just as much reason to anticipate and celebrate a future event. You want to be believing, not unbelieving. So see the kingdom. Come to Him in faith. Live in humble obedience to Him. Live in light of His certain return. Jesus is called the King of the Jews as early as Matthew 2. He came humbly the first time to save. Jesus, the King of kings, will come exalted the second time to judge. Only through Him, though, will God find you innocent. Only by Him you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can rest in the knowledge of Your second coming just as much as we can celebrate Christmas. That as sure as we are that You sent Your Son into the world through Mary's womb, we can be just as sure that You will send Your Son in the heavens and He will come down and split the Mount of Olives and it will be too late on that day, Father, to repent. So I pray, Father, that if there be anyone here who has not come to you by faith, if there anyone here, if there's anyone here, Lord, holding on to their own self righteousness, may you make them alive so that they will be compelled to abandon themselves and trust only in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the certainty of your first coming we thank you for the certainty of your second coming and as we live in the middle of each may we live with the confidence of both be glorified in us father may we long for your son's return and may we live in light of that we ask this in jesus name amen